1: You know how some carriers give you so little for your older, busted phone, you just end up living with it? I don't think so. Verizon lets you trade in your broken phone for a shiny new one. You break it, we upgrade it. You dunk it, doggy bone it. (laughs) Slam it, wham it, strawberry jam
2: it, we upgrade it. Get a 5G phone on us with select plans. Every customer, current, new, or business. Because everyone deserves better. And with plans starting
3: at just $35, better costs less than you think.
4: All right, Keenan, we good? I got you now. All right, let's go. All right, folks, today is Wednesday, December 22nd, 2021. Coming up on Roland Martin Unfiltered on the Black Star Network, we'll have a live report from reporter Georgia Ford in Minneapolis, where Kim Potter, uh, the jury deciding her fate in the death of Dante Wright. Also, uh, we'll talk about Texas, where two teens have been indicted Uh, for wearing KKK costumes uh, and tasing a black student on Halloween. Georgia, why did the Republicans take over the elections board and throw all the black folks off? Now they're shutting down all of the early voting locations, except one we will talk to an activist in Georgia about that. Also, uh, Maryland Governor Larry Hogan continues his assault against uh, State Attorney Marilyn Mosby. She fires back with receipts again against him. Also folks, uh, we'll, uh, in our tech talk segment, uh, sponsored by Verizon An HPCU grad found a way for you to help support all HBCUs with your phone. We'll have the founder of I heart my HBCU app right here on the show. We'll talk about that and lots of other stuff. It's time to bring the funk on Roland Martin unfiltered. Let's go.
5: News to politics
4: All right, folks, there may be new evidence against the three white men who were convicted in state court of murdering Ahmaud Arbery. It may be used in their federal hate crime trial. Father and son, Greg and Travis McMichael and their neighbor, William Roddy Bryan, are facing hate crime charges in the death of Arbery. Evidence not used in the state case could be critical in getting a federal conviction. Joining us now from Georgia is president and co-chair of the Transforming Justice Coalition, uh, Barbara Arnwine, as well as Daryl Jones as well. Glad to have both of you here. So, Barbara, exactly what is this evidence uh, that we could very well could hear in the federal hate crime trial? Uh, I can't hear Barbara. So, Barbara, are you there on mute?
3: All right. There you there go. You go. Uh, So I was saying, Rowan, that unlike the uh, state case, the federal case is all about hate. It's all about what was the racial motivation. They've been charged with five counts, uh, and the counts go to the fact that they interfered with his right to use a public road because of his race. And the federal government has to prove that. So it's gonna be very important. So unlike the state case, where they excluded evidence of racial hatred because it was considered prejudicial, in this case, it will be central and will be the basis of all of the uh, arguments in the court. So for example, in the state case, you didn't see the Confederate flag license plate because it was excluded. Uh, And that a Confederate flag license plate was important because it was a choice. This is a vanity uh, plate that you can only get if you pay for it. And what does it mean to display a Confederate flag license plate that the state itself banned years ago because of people's complaints about it being tied to white supremacy and racism. Um, So that's gonna be interesting. The other evidence that we expect to hear is that there are texts and Facebook posts that are very racial. I mean, they got some N-words going on in those posts. Uh, These guys, what did they say to us during the state Hearing, it was basically we are just, you know, uh, trying to protect our neighborhood. But what you're going to hear is about the anger, the absolute racial hatred they had towards Black people. And you're going to hear a lot. It's going to be very shocking. I've heard you know, a little bit of it in the uh, first uh, hearing before the judge uh, when they were just trying to, what uh, Daryl will tell you was the initial appearance. They uh, said that there was no evidence of hate and they read a few of those texts, but I also have heard from people in the community who received some of these uh, Facebook posts about what they say. So I think that's going to be fascinating in the text. Remember, the FBI is central to this case. They have done a lot of investigation, and we're going to hear a lot of evidence, or let's say more evidence than we heard in the uh, state murder trial.
4: Uh, Darrell, uh, again, uh, the, the feds are moving forward uh, with this. They're simply not being satisfied with the verdict that was handed down uh, in, in in this in the state trial. Uh, and look, the prosecutors, um, you know, they, 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 they talked about how the judge didn't let certain things in. But because because this is a a hate crimes uh, trial, again, a different focus, a different purpose. There, are you on mute? Daryl might have turned his camera off there. <laughs> uh, so let's uh I know Robert Patillo is there. Uh A. Scott Bolden uh is there, Monique Presley is there. Uh we'll wait till Daryl come back on. Uh so Robert, uh just your assessment of uh, again, how different this federal hate crimes trial is going to be compared to the state trial?
6: Well, you know, I think the prosecutors in the state trial had to uh, go along a very thin line when it came to the issue of race, because remember, it wasn't uh, nearly all white jury in that case. It was taking place in Brunswick, uh, in Glenn County, Brunswick, Georgia, South Georgia, uh, and they did not want to play up the racial aspects of it uh, in fears of inflaming racial animus and losing the uh, the forest from the trees, uh, uh, as they say. So, I think in the federal case, there's a very different standard, which has to be proven, and they, they're very different information can be uh, presented to the jury and uh, use of the N word, which is not presented at the state trial will be presented. The Confederate license plate uh, will be presented. Uh, other interactions that these individuals had with African Americans in the community, uh, community and other witness statements, which did not take, uh, come in during the state trial, will come in during the federal investigation. So this will be a real litmus test of how strong our federal hate crime laws actually are right now, um, because we've seen in recent years. That these laws have become all but muted and negatory. If you look at Ferguson, if you look at um, uh, Freddie Gray, if you look at many of these cases where we wanted the federal government to step in and prosecute, we've seen the current laws that we have on the books with regards to protecting African Americans from racially motivated uh, violence um, have become uh, nearly useless uh, in the modern context. So if we cannot get a conviction in this case, then I think that gives even more impetus to the need of that George Floyd Justice and Policing Act uh, and other federal uh, updates to federal hate crime laws to to protect African-Americans from vigilante
0: justice
4: looks like we have Daryl back Daryl, go ahead and let's see if we can hear you now
0: I'm hoping you can hear me now Roland yes we can go ahead yes okay fantastic and you know Robert was exactly right uh, with regards to the analysis in this case you know what, what we're going to be focusing on in this federal case now is simply straight up hate and, and, you know, and as a result of this hate crime that was committed, uh, the maximum offense that will be possible uh, is a life sentence. But everything that was excluded from that state court trial uh, with regards to the racial slurs, with regards to everything that was really race based, uh, will now be the central focus of what happens in the federal trial and it will be a measure uh, of of you know the uh, of the application of the hate crime statute you know the hate crime statute goes back uh several years to matthew Shepard was when it, when it was initially uh, introduced and, and created oh, a new one. so and and so now uh the this federal hate crime statute that uh, that that we're dealing with now under uh, uh section 9
4: Let's see. Looks like there, uh, is media again. Uh, yes, let me bring in, um, bring in Monique and Scott. Monique.
7: Well, I agree with everything that everyone else has said. Uh, this, this is uh, one of those times where we would hope that our federal statute is strong enough to hold up. Uh, but I do think that there are some hills to climb here because it, it, it's going to have to be proven that the reason, the express intent, the purpose, the cause was racially motivated. Uh, And and that's like saying if it had been a Latino man running through the street or a white man running through the street, jogging and stopping at the houses, that it wouldn't have happened. It happened because it was a black man. Uh, And so, you know, the government has its work cut out for it.
4: Scott Bolden.
2: Well, normally, you know, these cases, aren't brought by the Fed. They've turned down a lot of these cases because the basis and the sole purpose for the attack has to be rooted in race and bias. That's really, really hard to prove. Here, the feds clearly saw something and believe they've got enough evidence, circumstantial or otherwise, that they can prove that the only reason this individual, Amon Arbery, was being chased by these three white men, was solely because of race. One, because he was running while he was black. Two, because of statements made by the uh, assailants during as well as afterwards. And three, they believe they can get in those statements as well as other witness statements as to the character of the assailants. Because here you've got to show that the sole basis for the attack was race-based and biased. Uh, I think the government thinks they've got a strong case but there's some hills to climb, as Monique said, because the, gov- the the defense has a built-in defense. That is, we were chasing him to make an, a citizen's arrest. We didn't care whether he was black, white, yellow, or brown. Those would be the competing interests for the jury to consider.
4: And of course, um, uh, Barbara, yes. uh, one of the things that jumps out of here uh, is that, uh, to Scott's point, we, 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 you don't see a lot of these cases. Uh, then Attorney General Eric Holder often talked about how they needed to, need yeah. to change mm-hmm. uh, the law uh, because of the high threshold, yes. But we do, but we we did see this use uh, in the um, in the um, uh, Michael Scott case. We uh, uh, you know where that officer uh, pled guilty to federal hate crime uh, chat statute. Then, of course, you have Derek Chauvin who just pled exactly. guilty as well. And then, of course, you got this trial that's coming up.
3: Well, you know, one thing that's really different about this case, and it's different about what's been happening. Period. is that social media. Uh, you know, it's in it's, a lot of these cases in the past, it was hard to, quote, prove the men's rea, the intent uh, because you didn't have a lot that was in writing. Well, unfortunately for these defendants, uh, you know, some of them were, in fact, on Facebook and social media talking and using racial slurs and seeing how much they detest people, uh, you know, Black folks in particular, and talking about, what they hoped they could do to black folks if they ever had that opportunity. So we're gonna hear some of this. Also, one of the really vicious things that's gonna come out uh, is that there was video. Remember, there's you know all this video. We got the video of the actual murder, but we also got video cam. You notice very little of it was introduced from the police officers who were on the scene. Well, they do have video. And, uh, and some of that video also Contains some statements that were made over the body itself by these defendants. And that people need to hear also, because it goes, once again, to proving what their intent was. Remember, it's the four counts of the hate crime, and that also intends includes a uh, charge of attempted kidnapping. And that's going to also, you know, be a big part of this case, about using those uh, trucks uh, to, uh, to, you know, quote, corner him, trap, what did they say? Trapped him like a rat. Uh, You know, all of these uh, crimes also go to this issue of using, you know, firearms. So there's going to be all, uh, to, you know, threaten, to intimidate him, to uh, interfere with his right to travel. All of this is going to come in. I think that for as far as a case goes, this may be one of the stronger ones we see. Uh, And that it could be a very enlightening Case where people that realize how people can lie, understand about what their motivations are, but their actual uh, conversations with others reveal what they were thinking and what they had on their mind.
4: Daryl, uh, this is explained to for, for the general public uh, why it's also important that the feds move forward with this trial, even though these three men have been convicted in state court. Do we lose Daryl or Daryl still there? I don't see. That. I think we I think we lost Daryl there. Uh, Robert, speak
6: to that. Uh, one on one just real quick. Look at all these black lawyers on the screen right now. I just love looking at. <laughs> I just love seeing this. This is black yes. excellence, and uh, uh, I think we have to take a second to acknowledge that. But the reason that this is yes. important on the federal level is very often we see that we do not get justice on the state and local level. We do not see uh, often even charges being brought in these cases. So the federal government is supposed to be that backstop. We've seen that throughout the history of the civil rights movement. The federal government ste- uh, stepping in to provide justice where the state governments have not been able to do so. So if, if we now see that these uh, federal laws are uh, impotent when it comes to actually being able to prosecute individuals, then that gives us the Cassia Belli going into the next legislative session to tell our federal government, well, if you want Black people turning out in 2022, we're going to need new and updated hate crimes laws that makes it actually able uh, to bring these cases. Uh, And I'll give you a hypothetical situation. If a Black man steals a candy bar and goes outside and there's a white man in full Ku Klux Klan regalia waving a Confederate flag who shoots him, that is not a hate crime in this country right now because he stole a candy bar and the person can claim that they shot him for stealing the candy bar, not for being African-American. That is how ridiculous some of the hate crimes laws and the uh, federal standards are. So we clearly need to update those and fix those. And that has to be part of the national conversation going forward.
3: And yeah, if, if I may be Roland? a in
2: crime, then I mean, it just wouldn't be. Listen, the hate crime, whether state or federal, Roland, are rooted in sending a message to those who are racist and want to commit racial violence or religious violence or homophobic violence on others. That is the basis for the attack. In his scenario, the the Klansmen would argue, despite him being enrobed and and hooded, would argue he was hungry for the candy bar. I didn't kill him him because he was Black. He just happened to be Black. That's a fine line and a dichotomy that every jury is going to have to sort through. And the basis for these race-based crimes is not only policy-driven, but to send a message for those who are racist and want to commit racially-based violence for them not to do it. So DOJ has got to try this case when they've got facts uh, this strong. They tried the uh, other case that you did not mention that they tried was overwhelmingly race-based violence, which was the killing at Mother Bethel. And so I I slightly Mm -hmm. disagree with my colleague, you've got to have these elevated, sophisticated standards of proof, because otherwise it would just be a murder case or just be an assault case.
4: Yes. Monique, go ahead. And can I, oh. Barbara, Barbara, hold tight one second. Monique, then Barbara, go.
2: Right.
7: I just want to echo what both Robert and Scott were saying and say the hate is the point. Yeah. So it's important Whether you've already been convicted for murder, for assault, for grand theft, whatever it is, it is important to bring these cases to make the point that the hate itself, the racially motivated actions are a crime. And, And without us putting that message out through enforcement in the court systems, there will never be an understanding in the greater population that uh, you will pay and pay dearly, and not just as a stopgap, but in the front because you have done hate and race related or racially motivated actions.
4: Barbara, go ahead.
3: Yes, I wanted to point out something else. Uh, Robert said, Look at all these black attorneys. The head uh, lawyer in the federal case is a black woman. Uh, so that's gonna be uh, very different. Uh, but also, I mean, you know, the fans are just different. I mean, they they come in; they're much more organized. The FBI is all over this case like crazy. Uh, I think we're going to hear, you know, a lot. And you need these hate crime cases because, you know, there are some people to this day who think that the McMichaels and Brian were just dumb, that they were just over aggressive, they were just dumb. But people need to understand that hate had a role here that absolute lies hate and how wrong that is and how that is in fact a federal crime when you use and act upon that hate to deny people their civil rights, the use and the uh, enjoyment of so many rights that are common to all people. And that we got to make sure that folks understand that if they're going to engage in such an action, they're going to be held accountable. I do agree that there probably needs to be a, a some Changes of some of the standards uh, regarding the mens rea, regarding the intent that you could should lessen it some, as Attorney General, former Attorney General Holder has uh, argued. Uh, I also think that there's uh, certain activities uh, that are going on that should uh, have a greater, uh, uh, like these Karens and these kids who've been running around, you know, uh, trying to have uh, blacks shot and killed. Uh, by you know making false claims that that should also now come back into a you know statutory framework of of coverage because it's not so there uh, at this current time it's not in the federal law so there's a lot for us to do here but I want people to remember that this trial will be held in Brunswick it will be uh, a trial held in uh, with all with jurors a thousand jurors called from all 43 uh, counties in that federal district, uh, and that this will be a case that where the judge, from what I can see, is determined, Judge Lisa Wood is determined to run her courthouse. She gonna run that courtroom. And uh, we're not gonna see a lot of the nonsense that we saw in the murder trial from the defendant attorneys.
4: All right then, Uh, Barbara Arnwine, I appreciate it. Daryl Jones, thanks a lot. Uh, We appreciate it, thank you very much. Thank you. All right, folks. Got to go to. <coughs> <coughs> Sorry. Got to go to a break. When we come back. We'll talk about the Kim Pinal trial. Going to get a live report from Georgia Fort. Also, case out of Texas uh, where black kid was tased by a couple of white kids wearing a Klan, wearing clan outfits. They uh, are now facing charges. You're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered right here on the Black Star Network.
0: time to be smart.
1: Roland Martin's doing this
2: every day. Oh,
7: no punches! Thank you, Roland Martin, for always giving voice
8: to the issues.
2: Look for Roland Martin in the whirlwind, to quote Marcus Garvey again.
8: The video looks phenomenal, so I'm really excited to see it on my big screen. support
9: this man, Black media. He makes sure that our stories are told.
0: See, there's a difference between Black
2: Star Network and Black-owned media and something like CNN. I gotta defer to the brilliance of Dr. Carr and to the brilliance of the Black Star Network. I am rolling with Roland
6: all the way. Honored to be on a show that you own. A Black man owns the show. Folks, Black Star
4: Network is here. I'm real uh, revolutionary right now. Roland was
2: amazing on that. Stay Black, I love y'all. I can't commend you enough about
1: this platform that you've created for us to be able to share who we are, what we're doing in the world, and the impact that we're having.
4: Let's be smart. Bring your eyeballs home. You can't be black on media and be scared. You
1: dig?
2: I'm Anthony Brown from Anthony Brown and Group Therapy. Hi, I'm B.B. Winans. Hey, I'm Donnie Simpson.
0: What's up, I'm Lance Gross and you're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered.
4: folks, an Alabama family has been a looking for Lakira Pig Goldsmith since November 27, 2018. She was last seen getting, in, getting out of her boyfriend's car in Montgomery, Alabama, but she never made it back into the house. Lakira was 20 at the time of her disappearance. She's approximately 5 feet 5 inches tall and weighs between 140 and 180 pounds. She has black hair and brown eyes. Both of her ears are pierced as well as her lower lip. She is a snake eye tongue piercing. When Lakira went missing, she wore a black velvet length dress, a silver rhinestone choker necklace, silver rhinestone earrings, and a silver lip ring. She also had blonde hair extensions with black roots. If any information about La'Kira P- Pig Goldsmith, c- contact the Montgomery, Alabama Police Department at 334-625-2810, 334-625-2810 folks uh sickle cell uh disease uh is an imp- that impacts African Americans more than anybody else. When we talk about COVID, it also had a direct impact on those with sickle cell. Joining us right now to talk about that uh is Dr. Andrew Campbell. He's the director of Sickle Cell Program uh Children's Hospital in DC. Glad to have you here. So doc explain to us honest? again why why folks with sickle cell uh should really be concerned about uh getting COVID.
1: Thank you for having me on the show, Roland Martin. Uh, yes, sickle cell disease is an underlying condition that the CDC has recognized as a risk factor for what's called severe COVID 19 disease. Sickle cell disease affects the vessels, um, it can also affect many organs in the bodies. As you can see with COVID 19, it does exactly the same thing, it can affect different parts of the body the same way. Sickle cell in general um, causes a lot of pain, but also can cause damage to the organs, such as, for example, can cause pneumonia in the lungs. It can also cause uh, overall damage to the kidneys, for example, also increased risk for stroke. COVID-19 complications mirror some of the complications that you see in sickle cell disease. So in a national registry called the Secure Registry, for example, and they've monitored over time in Wisconsin, and they've shown that when you have COVID 19 and sickle cell disease, especially in the beginning of the pandemic, there was a significant, highly higher risk of being hospitalized and also a higher risk of death with sickle cell disease and COVID 19. But because of the recent advances in treatment and also, of course, the vaccinations, that is mitigated the risks that sickle cell patients see at this time.
4: Now, what about those who have sickle cell trait?
1: Right now, um, there's very limited information on sickle cell trait and COVID-19, but in the data that's been presented so far, there's a slightly increased risk of more severe COVID-19 disease. But there's not been enough studies so far, nationally, internationally, looking at this. But thus far, just a slightly increased risk of complications from COVID nineteen and mortality. Should
4: slightly. someone, should someone with sickle cell, uh, should they uh, get the vaccine? Should they get the booster? Or are there issues there?
1: Yes, we recommend that sickle cell patients five years and older get the COVID nineteen vaccine. Why? Because Sickle cell disease patients are at higher risk for hospitalizations and complications from the sickle cell disease in addition to being infected with COVID-19. So we have seen over, even at my hospital, we have seen a higher percentage of sickle cell disease patients being admitted uh, to the hospital, also uh, going to the ICU, for example, and in rare cases, uh, death, but we haven't seen that as much recently, uh, due to COVID-19 disease, in sickle cell disease patients, and even in the younger patients, uh, this is higher than what we see, for example, with flu or the common cold virus. So this virus has really had a significant impact on patients with sickle cell disease, and it's dramatically increased the hospitalizations that we would generally see with, for example, the flu vaccine. So we overwhelmingly support COVID 19 vaccine right now, five years and older in the sickle cell populations. The uh, side effects have been very minimal um, in in sickle cell disease patients. They exhibit very similar side effect that we've seen in a general population, um, but overall, we highly recommend it.
4: All right, then. Uh, anything else uh, you think folks should know out there uh, who, yeah. have, who have sickle cell or sickle cell trait?
1: Yeah. So for sickle cell disease, I would like to point out that there is, it's called the medical and Research Advisory Committee of the Sickle Cell Disease Association of America, which I was a part of, that has actually put out advisory statements, not only here in the US, but also internationally, led by Dr. Louis Su and uh, Bree Ademariam, Um, SCDAA. If you go to their website, sicklecelldisease.org, and put in MARC, and you can actually see the um, guidelines. Um, also American Society of Hematology also has guidelines, but also most importantly, the CDC. So we highly recommend our sickle cell patients to get vaccinated against COVID-19. Please talk to your local provider, your hematologist um, about the risks and benefits, but we highly recommend it.
4: All right, then. Well, we certainly thanks. appreciate it. Uh, thanks a bunch. We're just trying to give our folks uh, more and more information as best as we can uh, with regards to uh, COVID, its impact, uh, and again, it's a whole lot of misinformation out there. And so we want to yes. make sure that our folks uh, have the right information.
1: Thank you so much. Have all nice right. Uh,
4: I appreciate you. it. Thank you so very much. Uh, all, all right, folks. Uh, Pfizer is, uh, moving ahead, uh, with, uh, a, a, pill to combat, uh, COVID, uh, and not only, not only that particular pill, uh, the, first of all, um, Uh, It's it's supposed to be taken at home. uh, It's supposed to decrease symptoms for patients who take it within the first five days of symptoms or diagnosis. Now, according to Pfizer, the antiviral drug boasts a 90% reduction in hospitalizations and deaths in high-risk patients. Now, researchers at Walter Reed have created a vaccine uh, that protects against all COVID and SARS variants. This was done by the U.S. Army. The vaccine will undergo phase two and three of human trials before the approval. The team developing the vaccine says there have been positive results in previous trials. Again, right now, as we stand 51 million cases in America, more than 800,000 folks have died. And right now, 60% of the elderly population, uh, they are fully vaccinated. And so uh, we're seeing uh, that continue uh, in this country. All right, folks, let's talk about one of the issues that we have seen uh, impacted by COVID that is supply chain Uh, Christmas is coming up as you all these fears about whether you're going to be able to have product uh, on the shelves. And earlier today, President Biden touted what his administration has been able to do uh, when it comes to um, dealing with the supply supply chain issues.
9: Earlier this fall, we heard a lot of dire warnings about supply chain problems leading to a crisis around the holidays. So we acted. A lot of recommendations of the people that you see on the screen here. I wish we were all able to do this in person. We brought together business and labor leaders to solve problems. And much, uh, you know, the much-predicted uh, crisis didn't occur. Packages are moving. Gifts are being delivered. Shelves are not empty. Experts in this field look at two statistics for retail inventories, which is how many goods retail, how, how many good retailers have on hand and on phrase on-shelf availability, which measures how many goods are actually on the shelves there to be purchased. Today, retail inventories are up 3 percent from last year. Inventories are healthy. And on-shelf availability, before the pandemic, was about 91 percent. Today, it's at 90 percent. 90 percent. I'm sure you can go and find some shelf where it's empty because a particular sort of gifts are very popular. I don't know but 90% availability and delivery times of this season for FedEx, UPS, and the U.S. Postal Service are faster than before the pandemic, even as Americans have purchased a record amount of goods.
4: Well, um, Robert, Monique, uh, and uh, Scott, is interesting. Look at the supply chains and how all of a sudden that's now gone away. Um, Gas prices have been going down, now that's sort of gone away. And so all of these doom and gloom stories about how awful the economy is going and how things are so bad, you you notice how they no longer get the same level uh, of attention
6: well, you're, you're exactly right, Roland. I think part of it is, well, people. it's almost like a football game, where if you have a quarterback uh, behind center, uh, you, everybody wants to replace the quarterback and think that changes the team. No, the rest of the team has to change along with it. So the president has limited power when it comes to supply chain issues. The, um, the issue with the ports has been building for the last 20 years with regard to port capacity. When it comes to gas prices, presidents have almost no power over gas prices. That's set on the international mar- markets. Uh, when it comes to getting things across ship, uh, uh, all the shipping containers and all the trucks across the country, the shortage of uh, truck drivers has nothing to do with the president of the United States. What the president has done by releasing oil from the strategic oil reserves is do a triage to stop the uptick in prices. Also, by ordering uh, ports to stay open 24 hours a day, we have been able to start handling that backlog uh, of shipping containers coming in. So, people don't like the complicated answer to things. They like to simply have a dumb black and white answer uh, someone's doing bad, someone's doing good. So, sometimes President Biden, and in his slow, kind of methodical, bureaucratic way, gets things done. And the, the administration has to do a better a job of selling that to the American people, because if you're not selling it, then people don't know what you're doing.
2: Yeah, Roland, but there's there's something else going on, too. And Biden's doing this. He's got to open up those supply chains by keeping the ports open earlier, or longer, rather. He's also got to release those boil, oil barrels of oil to keep prices down because the Republicans are pounding them on the inflation and the Fed they're pounding the president and the Fed on this permanent inflation versus this transitory inflation. And both of these moves by the president will keep those um, will keep inflation down or at least in check until they can kind of drive it down. Uh, it's more complicated than that from an ac- a macroeconomic standpoint, but that's really what's driving this piece. But I will say this, they haven't really fixed the uh, supply chain because I had this really great gift for you. Roland, <laughs> it was an incredible gift for you. I miss you and everything, but you know what? It ain't going to make it here. So I'll see you in January. You know,
4: doggone well, that ain't got nothing to the do. They ain't got nothing to do with fixing the supply chain at all. Again, <laughs> really, what you have here, you got a whole bunch of media people who play the whole doom and gloom game, as opposed to really uh, dealing with where we are. Looking at the amount of money that's also in this system, uh, with the uh, additional uh, resources that people actually buy more as well. And so, it's it's one thing. It, it, it the narrative is always about the narrative, Monique. Uh, when you start looking at this whole deal, because at the end of the day. Uh, this economy is in a lot better shape uh, than it has been uh, in a very long time. Yes, inflation is a concern, but this notion that somehow we have this debilitating economy is just nonsense.
7: Complete nonsense. And its it's like they really are allergic to sharing good news. So if there is anything good that's happening, they're going to put a butt right at the end of the sentence or they're going to find some yes. other way to turn it into gloom and doom. I mean, there's, there's, this is why um, people are so frustrated with our government, one of the reasons, and so discontent because what they're getting is not delivering them the facts. They, they have zero reason to be encouraged
4: well absolutely and i do believe again how you know in terms of how you control your own own narrative uh is really important and so that's one of the things that you've been seeing taking place uh one of the things that they announced today was the extension of student loan relief uh until may 1st now earlier the white house said they were not going to do that now they're saying because of the explosion of uh, the omicron variant they're going to actually begin uh, to uh, put put that in place, uh, payments, were, p- payments were supposed to restart on January 31st. Uh, interest rates still around zero percent uh, during this pause as well. And so, uh, as we stand, 36 million Americans owe 1.36 trillion dollars. And 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 and, and where, where, where I'm stuck at is is this here, Robert? You've got members of Congress. You've got Congresswoman Cory Bush, Congresswoman Ayanna Presley. Sarah uh, Elizabeth Warren others saying that the president has the authority to cancel up to $50,000 student loan debt. Okay, Senator Chuck Schubert says the same thing. He says he doesn't. Can somebody give a real damn answer? And here's he the didn't. other deal. All Congress
6: has to do is also pass a bill. So, okay, where's the bill? Well, well look, Roland, on that point, I, I think we have to break this down for a second. One, nobody in this country, for the most part, has had to pay student loans in the last two years. Everything has been fine. The economy has not collapsed. Public education has not fallen into the ground. Colleges have not gone bankrupt. So apparently, it will not hurt the economy at all if we cancel student loan debt. We've been just fine for the last couple of years doing so. To so on the question of whether or not the president has the authority to do so, the, uh, remember, student loans are a federal agency. They're not a. Uh, they're not statutory, uh, as they say. So what Bernie Sanders proposed when he was running for president, when he said he would cancel student loans on day one, is. Simply instruct the uh, instruct the Department of Education not to collect the debt, and all you'd really all really do all they really have to do is zero out the balances. So the president has the ability to do so, according to Bernie Sanders. And this is what I did. Uh, what I think we can learn from President Trump. President Trump, if you told him he couldn't do something, he just did it, and then you can figure out whether he could do it or not. So if President Biden really is about that life, he'll just do it and then let somebody else figure out later on if he could do it. President Trump did it with the Muslim ban. President Trump did it with the border wall. President Trump did it with a whole lot of stuff. We just said, look, I'm just going to do it. Y'all work out the details later. I think President Biden is going to have to get on that same train because while you're sitting here waiting on stuff, trying to figure out if you can do it or not, your poll numbers are in the 30s. Kamala's poll numbers are in the 20s and Republicans are getting ready to sweep the midterms because you can't uh, pass Bill back better, apparently because uh, uh, Joe Manchin has more power than the president does. So President Biden's going to have to get on his horse and do something soon if he wants to maintain any sort of majority and any ability to govern going into 2024.
4: Monique, here's what I don't understand. Uh, 36 million Americans owe $1.36 trillion. Didn't we just forgive $600 billion in PPP loans? It ain't like the country ain't forgiven money before.
7: Right? No, it it's not. But I mean, I, I vehemently disagree with everything Robert said in the whole be like Trump scenario. Um, every example he mentioned, <laughs> whether it's the Muslim ban or any, I mean, those were colossal mistakes Bad, and yeah. the, they were rash decisions that were inaccurate. And the, the reason why I support um, a Joe Biden or a Kamala Harris is because I know that they will not do things like that, um, and and I I want people who govern based on facts. So, it I don't think is a question of whether um, the the amount of money that is owed to the federal government can be forgiven. I think there are all kinds of questions with respect to all of the lenders involved in the loan packaging and so there there are real questions to which apparently the president got a no and others like senator warren believe there's a way to get to a yes
9: but you
2: know Roland, he's not talking about uh forgiving all the debt i think he's talking about forgiving like ten thousand dollars of student loan debt per person, whatever he's talking. No, but, but about, no, no, but no, 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 But here's
4: the, the point that I'm, I'm I'm stating: we just forgave nearly six hundred billion dollars uh, that was handed out to PPP. Okay, six hundred billion. Exactly. Okay, that's almost half of what's owed for student loans. Okay, why in the hell are we don't just forgive? Fine, D- fine. How about this here? Let's not let's let's have say Congress, we're not going to forgive all student loan debt fine forgive half of it I'm, i mean we just did right. it for ppp right right but there
7: it's was always relative. a plan to do but it for ppp that was the, the point was to loan it and then for it to be able to be forgiven okay
4: okay but here's the deal Look, they could, they so could so actually like do it on, on student loan debt what's the problem
2: that's, that's not a distinguishing fact that's not a distinguishing fact uh, i think Roman's right on this one I mean, they're just printing money anyway, so why not forget it? But the real question, I think, is why won't the Biden administration just do it? Thank you. What are they so afraid of? I mean, he ran on this. The Democrats voted him in, at least in part, on this uh, progressive agenda, and he's got the power to do it. And Robert's right about one thing. Just do it. If there's a dispute, the courts will sort it out. And by the way, he stayed it for two years, and as, as Robert said, we have a, we don't have a failed economy, we have a growing economy actually. And so I, I, I guess that my answer is a question, is that why will not you just do it? Just do it. And why can't you get your marketing and communication teams together to sell your successes, make this one of them, and damn the Republicans. What are we so afraid of as an organization? What are we afraid of in regard to Manchin and these other moderates who certainly don't belong in the Democratic Party? They go to Republican Party, they'll be a small fish in a small pond. They stay in the Democratic Party and one of them acts like they're the President of the United States. It makes no sense. I blame the administration on the media on, on their bad media because of their bad communication and this is another example of it regarding student
6: loans. And, and so on, on that point scott malik i wasn't saying that support trump's muslim ban or support him on the border wall i'm saying the same thing as scott which is just do it and, and quit trying to work out every bit of minutia beforehand you got a bureaucrat stuff will work out the details we're not really going to see the the full thrust of this student loan crisis before the next 10 or 20 years note Highly educated millennials, people in their late 30s and early 40s, don't have kids anymore at all. You don't see kids playing in the park. Do you know why? Because the student loan debt. We, we, We got pets and we got plants. Plant to the new pets, pets to the new children, <laughs> children are just some kind of exotic creatures that only rich people can afford because I got a choice between paying $1,600 uh, um, $1, a month in student loan debt to, um, to pay back this uh, law degree, or I can have some kids. We, our country cannot survive with this level of debt hanging over the heads of the most well-educated, successful people in the country, so Joe Biden has an opportunity to change things generationally in this country, and the fact that they're saying that I can't do it because XYZ, just get out there and do it. you really think these people are going to turn out and vote for you again in 2022 because you say, well, bureaucratically, I couldn't do it. The Senate parliamentarian told me I couldn't do it, so I didn't do it, despite the 81 million people who voted for it. Mm -hmm. Democrats don't understand how to win elections. They don't understand how to market things. Joe Biden should be on this show right now in the C-Block talking about how he's about to uh, cancel student loan debt and then do a media tour across the country. That's how you motivate people to turn out and how you keep your majority in 2022, but hiding behind bureaucrats as a way to lose going forward.
2: And what's this about research, by the way, you know, you could get any associate at any big law firm in America, this research project and give them eight hours, (laughs) not only just to research it, right, but to write it up, they have it to you in a day, no later than a day and a half. It's all nonsense. You know, the Democrats, the problem with the Democrats is they want to win the argument. They want to be right on the issues. They care about how people feel about them, who are never going to support them, like white Republicans and even white Democrats, and they just won't stand up and want to win the vote. Win the vote, because you're going to lose in 2022 the way you're doing Mm -hmm. right now. Win the vote, right? Damn the torpedoes, and fight for what you believe in, and fight for what's right, and fight what's in the best interest of America. And they just won't do it. They're so scared. They're scared of their shadows. Makes no sense.
6: And another thing, Monique, go <clears throat> I don't have another thing. Well, th- oh, look, just, just, just last, get on today.
2: look, just bro, la- last bro, point. Bro, nobody
6: wants to get it on today, Look, look okay? Scott, la- last point on that though. For for me, just think about the headlines and the way this writes itself for Democrats. You cancel all student loan debt, or you cancel half a student loan debt, you cancel fifty thousand dollars student loan debt, however you want to do it then the bureaucrats come back and say you can't do it now you can campaign in 2022 say well this is why we need 60 votes in the senate so we can do it we tried to the first time and the bureaucrats wouldn't let us do it yeah. that rights itself but simply saying i'm not going to try because i'm scared that they might overturn it later that's not effective this is how you lose
2: right right and then blame it on them or better, yeah blame it on the courts and just keep it moving just you know if you're fighting for your people, if you're fighting for your constituents, whether you win, lose, or draw, or whether you get it done or not, they're going to stick with you. Right now, half the Democrats in America are mad at Joe Biden and the Harris, uh, uh, the Biden White House, Biden-Harris White House, right? You're losing Democratic votes by your inertia and not getting anything done and not fighting for what you ran on, whether you get it done or not. It's not that hard. It's not that hard. Well, Nick, you still ain't
4: taking the pay. Y'all done? All right. All right. right. <laughs> all right. I'm a, I'm a, first That's of all, first of, uh, I'm I'm gonna go to a break when we come back. Uh I gotta show y'all this video uh of Herschel Walker saying he doesn't believe the John Lewis Act is what John Lewis stood for.
2: Oh, he hit me. <laughs> just hit
4: me. Even though John, even though John Lewis wrote it. Uh, plus, um, <laughs> Marilyn Mosby, uh, she, uh, is not mincing any words as she fires back at Maryland governor, Larry Hogan for his constant attacks on her with that show you her latest video. You're watching Roland Martin unfiltered right here on the black star network. Folks black star network is peace. Oh no. I'm
9: real uh, revolutionary right now. <laughs> support this man, Black Media. He makes sure that our stories are told. Uh, thank
4: you for being the voice of Black America. Rolling. I love y'all.
8: All momentum we have now.
0: My name is Charlie Wilson.
3: Hi, I'm Sally Richardson Whitfield. And I'm Charlie. Hey
6: everybody, this is your man Fred Hammond and you're watching
2: Roland Martin, my man, unfiltered.
4: To uh, Roland Martin, unfiltered. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying my best, uh, not to, uh, smack Herschel Walker. Um, but it, it it, it is a little, little hard, uh, for me not to do. So, uh, Keenan, I'm about to send you this video. See if you can go ahead and pull this video up, please. Um, I want to, cause it's some audio that I want to play. So Herschel Walker, of course, is running for the United States Senate, um, in, uh, Georgia. Uh, and he wins the primary, he'll be facing, of course, um, Senator Raphael Warnock, Pastor Raphael Warnock. Well, internal polling came out uh today showing Walker at 49 48. Uh, conservative Eric Erickson said that if your internal polling showing you at 49 48, that ain't good for you. Uh, in a state with Biden having 55% disapproval numbers um so ken let me know if you can pull that up um but um i i I gotta show y'all because because first of all hershey walker is not the brightest bulb in a dark room i mean he ain't bright at all y'all at all so he was doing he was doing a radio interview he was doing a radio interview y'all where they were talking about the John Lewis act. Okay. Now, prior to Congressman John Lewis passing away, he literally wrote the voting law. So Herschel Walker was asked about, um, this law and Keen, if you can go ahead and pull that up, I want you all to hear what um what uh one of the dumbest people you've ever heard if you think his son is dumb you see exactly where his son got it from Kenny, go ahead and play it uh i can't hear it can y'all hear it no we can't hear it hey kenan if you you could go ahead and uh double check the uh make sure the mute button's not on and then start the tweet over i I just want y'all to hear for yourself uh because sometimes you just got to go ahead and uh let dumb be dumb um so let me know if you have it uh if you have it ready Uh, all right can't get the audio. All right I'm going to try to play it I'm gonna play it on my end but ba- but basically uh what he said here uh Robert was uh I don't really think the John Lewis act is what John Lewis uh stood for.
6: Well, look, I've invited Herschel Walker on my radio show. I've invited the other Senate candidates. I've had uh, Calvin King, who's running that Republican primary. I was on my show last week. Gary Black, who's the current agricultural secretary, who's uh, going to be coming up in the new year. I hope Herschel will come on. But, um, you know, Herschel down here is known to CTE patient zero. He, he's not all the way there. And I, I think the Republicans are making a grave mistake nominating. So if They try to nominate somebody like Herschel Walker we've already given all the numbers and all the hermeneutics going into this election. This should be a landslide for Republicans. If you just put default Republican in there, um, they should win this seat going away versus Warnock because it was the aberration year with Democrats taking both Warnock and Ossoff and Joe Biden uh, winning the state of Georgia. Uh, So without Donald Trump on the ballot, without without everything going on in 2020, Republicans should have a very good chance of winning. But when we have someone like Herschel Walker who might be the nominee, You are talking about running an admitted woman beater, somebody who beat his former wife, who is a domestic violence attacker, and you're going to run him against a Baptist minister? In the South, what is wrong with Republicans? You're going to take somebody who literally beat women for 20 years and does not live in the state of Georgia and run them against a Baptist minister. So I think that Republicans are going to have to rethink this. They should take another look at Kelvin uh, King and another look at Gary Black. That they want any chance of winning. But this is just a, another and a long line of gaffes that Herschel Walker has made and is going to make. And when your son. Is the best spokesperson for the campaign complaining about gas gas prices and a 1200 hundred dollar hoodie i don't think a worse mistake can be made by republicans than nominating somebody like Herschel walker who i repeat beats women and they want to run him against a baptist minister you can't make a worse mistake than that in the state of georgia Monique,
4: uh you and me
7: I said, he's just not a serious person. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Early, let me tell you what you should do. And I know you, you can get this done. You should put together a one or two minute piece on all of Herschel Walker's gas and and, and and when he's, as well as when you can't understand it. I can't really understand it. I don't know what his language is. So he, didn't, he doesn't have to be bright but he, but he got to be able to communicate. Not just every time I've heard it, I can't put a string of English sentences together, or the king's English, or the queen's English. So I'm not sure what to think. I wish he had the video so I could hear it. But in any event, I, I don't know. I can't really take him very serious. Trump's backing him. I mean, he manifests the ignorance of a number, not all, a number of Republican supporters and voters. And in, in Georgia, who, who like all that idiocy and all that stuff, uh, that minstrel show, if you will, uh, and so we got to—I guess you got to cover it, but you know, I didn't think you're going to have to be slap him a few times before the general, as as well as the. the um, uh, the primary as well as the general. I think you're going to have to be slapped.
6: But, but also, go let's out. not forget. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, let's not forget though, the Republicans nominated and elected Tommy Tupperville in our neighboring state of Alabama to United States Senate. Uh, so for Republicans, you do not have to be a a PhD or well spoken in order to be a United States Senator. You've got to be involved in SEC football. That's pretty much their own main requirement uh, to be a United States Senator down here. So I think we cannot write off somebody like Herschel, despite his history of the domestic violence, his history of mental illness, uh, his admissions that he has committed various violent acts and torture against women throughout the years. And they will run that against a Baptist minister and say, well, look, he ran that ball back in the 80s, and that's all that they require in order to elect you to Senate. So it's a very scary place that we're <laughs> at in America. And I would like to see these women's groups come out and stand up because Roland, you have mentioned often that when it comes to black issues, there's always black folks standing by ourselves. We need all these national women's organizations to come out and stand up against an admitted woman's beater. We need to have all those pe- all people down here marching and protesting and pouring money into the state to ensure that you do not have somebody who's admitted to domestic violence in the United States Senate because how exactly can you stand up and say you really defend women if you're not going to fight back against someone like Herschel Walker who beat women for the last 20 years.
4: All right then. Okay, now when you talk about clapping back, uh, there's been this constant back and forth between Marilyn Mosby, uh, of course, the state's attorney there in Baltimore, and Republican Governor Larry Hogan. He is constantly saying that she's the reason why crime is increasing in Baltimore, saying she's not prosecuting people uh fast enough not going after them with tough charges well you know we played for you last month a news conference when she just went ham on hogan well yesterday she dropped this video smacking the governor watch
5: dear governor hogan i deeply regret having to respond to you via a public letter but after my numerous attempts at collegiality i recognize that your entitlement your privilege and your political posturing are guiding your disrespectful refusal to meet or even speak with me for the past two years, despite being the twice-elected state's attorney for Baltimore City. For seven years, I have proposed that we set aside our philosophical differences in order to work toward the betterment of the city of Baltimore. And for seven years, you've not only refused to collaborate and engage with me, but you've consistently refused to collaborate and engage with almost every black Baltimore city leader. At this point, it's clear to me that you would much rather attack, disparage, and continue to use the city of Baltimore as your punching bag in order to score political points with your conservative base. As I expressed in November in response to your politically motivated press conferences, Baltimore City is the heartbeat of the state of Maryland, which is why I'm baffled by your lack of leadership, disregard, and apparent disdain for our city. This has been evidenced by your decision to cancel the red line, which would have provided economic opportunity and stability for the residents of our city. Your decision to veto the Kerwin Commission legislation that would have provided more support to high poverty schools, such as those in our city. Your lack of prioritization and disparate distribution of vaccines during the height of the global pandemic, when you told the media that our city's elderly residents had already been given far more than they were really entitled to, and your vetoing of the Baltimore crime plan drafted by the city's delegation that would have required increased oversight of offenders on parole and probation. Coming out of a global pandemic that has significantly thwarted public health, the judicial system, jobs and the economy for the past two years. As the governor of this state, you had a unique opportunity to showcase leadership that could have brought state, federal, and local resources and agencies together in order to resolve the endemic challenges that our city has faced for decades. You have chosen to do otherwise. We, the people that live in the city of Baltimore, are not naive enough to believe that your attacks come from any form of sincere concern about the problems that we face Rather, your actions are purely political, which is why you continue your incessant dog whistling attacks about Baltimore crime, which contrasts with your deafening silence on the increased crime in the rest of the state and your time in office. You have blamed the mayor, the police commissioner, the judges, the city council and even the state legislature for the crime in Baltimore City. Yet many of the city's problems can be laid at the door of the state agencies you oversee. This past week, you appeared on Fox News Sunday and were asked a question in connection with the attempted murder of a Baltimore City police officer to which you shamefully responded, we have a prosecutor in Baltimore City that refuses to prosecute violent criminals. And that's the root of the problem. None of this is true. In fact, the truth is that the lead suspect in the shooting of that police officer who is currently fighting for her life was supposed to be under the supervision of your state agency at the time of that horrific offense. That suspect, who was presumed innocent unless and until proven guilty, was not only on state-run pretrial supervision at the time of the brazen shooting, but he was released on his own recognizance pending trial for being a felon in possession of a handgun in Baltimore County, not Baltimore City. Disgracefully, you attempted to blame my office yet again in two recent press conferences where you had the audacity to cite the case of a 69-year-old woman killed in an East Baltimore church, spreading the falsehood that this is an example of my office not holding a violent repeat offender accountable. Once again, in reality, according to the murder suspect's bail review hearing, the suspect arrested in connection with that case was fresh off of parole, and was not given adequate state supervision by your state agency, given his level of violence against others, his criminal history of violent rape by force, felony assault and robbery. The suspect actually committed a robbery while under state supervision in 2012. Despite numerous red flags and continued mental health issues, the state supervision level was lowered for this violent repeat offender by your state agency. And what's clear, is that the suspect who's also presumed innocent unless and into proven guilty should have never been allowed off of state supervision in the first place. Similarly, in 2018, your Department of Juvenile Services secretary erroneously attempted to blame my office for the release of a juvenile that ultimately killed a Baltimore County police officer. Once again, this was not true. In fact, your state-run Department of Juvenile Services Push for the release of that juvenile over the objection of both my prosecutors and his own mother. So yet again, your state agency failed to properly supervise an individual who then took the life of a police officer. You see, Mr. Governor, these breakdowns in your state agencies are not isolated incidents either, but are a part of a pattern of malpractice on the part of your government. That is why I intend to ask the state legislature for an audit by the Maryland Office of Legislative Audits of not just DPSCS, but of the Division of Parole and Probation and the Department of Juvenile Services, specifically to evaluate why these failures have occurred, continue to occur, and how we can prevent such tragedies from happening again. As I have said before, our seniors and our babies should be off limits. Yet under your leadership, we continue to see innocent, vulnerable lives lost due to the ineptitude of your state agencies. In short, It's time that you accept your share of responsibility for the problems our city and state faces, problems that have occurred on your watch. The answer to the crime problems that continue to plague the city of Baltimore cannot just be found in the antiquated, tough on crime and zero tolerance policing proposals that you have introduced legislatively over and over again. Refunding the police and more mandatory minimums do not deter crime. We know this because for decades, these antiquated solutions haven't worked. Utilizing holistic evidence-based solutions that address the root causes of crime deters crime. Ensuring economic stability, education, transportation, jobs, and housing deters crime. None of which you've been willing to do for the city of Baltimore. As you are aware, Baltimore City has faced unprecedented challenges and expansive instability in the past seven years which include the constant change in leadership of four different mayors, five police commissioners, the untimely killing of Freddie Gray and the subsequent uprising, a scathing 163-page report by the Department of Justice exposing a pattern and practice of discriminatory policing, the subsequent federal consent decree, dealing with the aftermath of one of the largest police corruption scandals in the history of this country, where police officers were planting guns and drugs on citizens for decades, and withstanding court closures and case backlogs, staffing and budgetary challenges due to a global pandemic. Despite all of the aforementioned challenges, every day my highly skilled and talented prosecutors who are overworked and underpaid, even according to the Baltimore Sun, dedicate their lives to the pursuit of justice on behalf of the citizens of Baltimore City. As you will see from the data provided, Every single day, my prosecutors go up against voluminous case dockets, uncooperative witnesses, and demanding judges to ensure accountability against violent individuals in this city. How dare you say otherwise? For the past seven years, my office and my prosecutors have been the only stability in this city, and they should be valued and appreciated for the public service and commitment that each of them exhibit every day. Had you chosen to meet with me or simply pick up the phone? you would have realized that much of the data that you've publicly requested is already published on our website and is also already provided to your agency by way of the Governor's Office of Crime Prevention, Youth and Victim Services on a quarterly basis as part of the grant process. Turning to the data, you will find that despite every unprecedented challenge that the city has faced over the past five years, my office has maintained a 90% conviction rate on average for violent offenses, an average 88% conviction rate for mandatory minimum eligible cases, and a 92% conviction rate for violent repeat offenders, all of which are consistent with the conviction rates of my predecessors over the past 10 years. According to our data, the no-pros and stet rate is also consistent with the last 10 years. Please note that a no-pros or stet does not mean the case was dropped and or dismissed in its entirety. In fact, on average, over the past five years, 25% of the cases no noprost or steaded were prosecuted elsewhere, such as by our federal partners, where there are more resources and sentences are more severe, or the case is the subject of plea negotiations in another case. Governor Hogan, I know that you are a lame duck governor and you have your eye on another job and feel the need to play to your base, but I implore you to focus on the job you have now. I urge you to work with me, the mayor, the police commissioner, the public defenders, the judges, and every other stakeholder to fix our justice system. End the campaign of disinformation against our city. Stop finger pointing and work together with every stakeholder to improve public safety in our city and in our state. Sincerely, Marilyn J. Mosby, Baltimore City State Attorney.
4: Uh, Monique, I think she read his ass.
7: Uh, yes, I thought you would have gone to my brother first, but, uh,
2: <laughs> <laughs> for I'm that better, obvious. To us.
7: <laughs> um, <laughs> but yes, uh, she took her time and she she covered all of her bases, dotted her eyes, crossed her t's, and said what she said, which. It's a shame that she has to do that, but, um, there we go.
4: Um, I must say, uh, Scott, first of all, you represent Marilyn Mosby in, uh, her battle with, uh, the feds. Uh, and this is the second video. The last one she did last month when she held a news conference was she steam was coming out of her ears. Uh, this one, she decided to uh, do a sit down and recorded video. Uh, but again, one by one, one by one, read his ass for filth. And
2: and with documentary evidence and citations to support a very thoughtful, uh, cogent, uh, painful for the governor to listen to response. You know, the pattern, you know, me and Ben Crump at a press conference uh, last month about the attacks on black female prosec- progressive prosecutors, uh, whether it's Kim Fox uh, or Marilyn Mosby or a few others, one in um, uh, Missouri. Forgive me, I, I cannot remember. I think Kim. I want to say Porter, but but white conservative men, elected officials, seem to have problems with strong black female progressives who are tough and who run to the fight. They don't run away from their politics or their bona fides or what they deeply believe in. And the the Republican Party doesn't seem to have an answer to that, whether it's AOC, whether it's Marilyn Mosby, and they keep making these attacks as if they're gonna diminish them in some way politically or personally or socially within the party And the progressives, like Marilyn Mosby, run to the fight because they've got a story to tell, and they stand by their principles and their politics and the results of their hard work by by statistics. The other thing you'll notice is white conservative men in the Republican Party not only attack them, but try to strip them of their broad discretion. Unlike their white counterparts who have held that position, their predecessors, you'll see that around the country. And so, I'm just very proud of my. Uh, I'm just very proud of my my client, and uh, she's absolutely right. She's fearless to take on the governor, and so um, uh, accolades to her. And this is the beginning. It's not the end of the fight because remember she's up for re-election in five months. And Got it. this is all about that part of Baltimore doing that.
6: Robert. You know, this is the thing that uh, I want our, our white brothers to understand, because I know if you look at all the commercials now, every single commercial got like a goofy looking white guy with a fine black woman. Uh, what you have to understand is if a black woman is mad and like tearing stuff up, that's OK. You can come back from that. But if she is sitting there like that in front of you, reading a script and laying out evidence you're done. It's over. That is, that is, that, they bring you into the room. They sit you down. They bring up all your text messages, all the Instagram, all the pictures you've been liking. It's over when they sit down like that. And the composure and the steadfastness that he presented her information, I think to let Larry Hogan know that I know you are trying to run for president in 2024. I know you want to come off as of being a tough on crime, moderate, non-Trump Republican in the field, but you're not going to do that on my back. You can get your bona fide somewhere else, but you're not going to do it as the diminution of me and my prosecutors and what we're doing in our office. The problems in crime in Baltimore did not start with Marilyn Mosby. They did an entire TV series on The Wire about those issues. So this idea of Larry Hogan trying to pin those on her, these are systemic issues that have gone back more than a generation and that require state, local, and federal cooperation to take care of that I think she is doing the best that she can given the card that she has been dealt. And Larry Hogan is going to have to decide, are you going to actually finish out the end of your term and try to have some successes before you run for president? Or uh, or alternatively, are you going to try to uh, dive into these culture war issues against Black women in politics? We've seen this with Father yeah. Willis in Atlanta. We've seen this with uh, Kim Porter in Chicago. We've seen this with Marilyn Mosby in Baltimore. Quit, quit picking these fights with Black women. You can't That's win. Right. As a Black man married to a Black woman, you can't win this. Just let it go. Try to work with them.
2: All
4: right, yeah. then. They, I, I, no, 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 no no, 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 not Please. real quick. You, you talked for a very long time. You should have got everything out when you did. I need to go live. I, I need to go live you know. to Minneapolis. Nobody interrupted you. You just simply forgot. So take some ginseng pills and get your memory <laughs> together. I'm going to go live to Georgia Fort, who stepped out of the courtroom where G- I, I stopped talking. Kim, Pot- Kim Potter. Uh, of course, the, waiting for the jury deliberation. Let's go live to uh, Minneapolis. Uh, so, uh, Georgia, uh, what's the latest in the case out of uh, in the Kim Potter trial?
8: Roland, the jury has continued deliberating now for almost, I think, 23 hours <laughs> since Monday afternoon, and the family. I, I had the chance to sit with them for most of that time. They're remaining strong hopeful and they continue to pray. They're surrounded by prayer warriors who are hopeful that this verdict is still going to come back, not guilty or guilty rather.
4: Now, of course, they sent word yesterday, sort of asking what happens if they get stuck uh, and they, they, they have continued.
8: Yeah, well, they have continued. Judge Chu, we heard her break in and say that uh, it it wasn't really an option for them to get stuck. She encouraged them to come to some kind of agreement. Um, We even heard from some of the attorneys uh, that they are not... um, They're not thinking that the jury is going to get stuck at this point. But on the outside, the community, we saw a lot of people here who are concerned that this is going to be a hung jury. And and the thought of the family having to go through all of this or even the thought of them coming back with a not guilty verdict is, uh, is very emotional. It's a very emotional time for the city. Roland, as you know, I know you followed what happened after the murder of George Floyd and all of the protesting that happened. And then, Roland, you covered the Chauvin trial. Dante was killed three weeks into the Chauvin trial. And so it's it's very emotional time in the city for people to gather and consider that Kimberly Potter could mistake her, her gun for her taser and she could get away with it. Or that a jury, which we know is predominantly white individuals, there's one black woman on this jury, Roland, two Asians, and the rest are white men and women. And a lot of them are are older. When I was in the courtroom uh, for jury selection, uh, I did observe that there were some other diverse candidates maybe who could have been on this jury that weren't selected. And then when I was back in on the day when Dante's dad testified, I saw some of the, the jurors uh, sleeping. Um, and so it's, it's, it's disheartening to see people not taking their civic duty seriously. And now that's contributing to hours and hours and now days of deliberations. So the family is really hoping that at least uh, they're going to come back with guilty on one of the counts. The uh, family is, is really, really hoping that it's not a hung jury because could you imagine having to go through this entire process all over again?
4: All right, Georgia Fort, we're surely appreciate it. Thanks a lot for giving us that uh, update and we'll keep watching to see what this jury does.
8: Absolutely. Thank you, Roland.
4: Thank you very much, uh, Monique. Um, again, at right now, if you're the prosecutor, you're the defense. All you can do is simply wait for this jury to uh, come to a decision.
7: Right. I mean, and the longer it goes, it's not looking good. Not when you
4: say, say the longer it goes, it's not, not looking good for the prosecution or the defense?
7: For the prosecution. Because, I mean, it's one thing for the jury to be steadfast and deliberate and going through all the evidence and et cetera, but the cues that they've been sending is Mm -hmm. like that there's some sort of deadlock um, and just going longer and longer doesn't, it, it doesn't lean toward people in favor of the prosecution convincing those who are not. It usually means that somebody is in there and is very stuck in their position um, I mean, in this, this, this case that there, there are, there are problems, there are problems. I mean, I know you all did those segments on, um, her and her crying on the stand and all of that, but I, I, it was likely persuasive to the jury. I don't, I don't think that they're sitting there believing that she intended to do that. So Robert, to what do you make the decision?
6: Well, kind of, as Monique was saying, this is not the most complicated set of facts here. So, the fact that you are they have taken this on to deliberate, you are dealing with this uh, this threat of a hung jury uh, definitely does not bode well for the prosecution and for a conviction. Um, Question: Did she shoot somebody? Yes. Um, That should be kind of the beginning, middle, and end. And so this question of, was it accidental? We've heard the testimony about the difference between the taser and the gun, uh, how difficult it is to make a mistake and mistake your taser for a gun. The fact that they do not feel the same, they're not the same weight, they're not the same color, they're not held on the same side, they're not facing the same direction. So it should be a pretty easy case to come to a decision on. And the fact that they are taking this long um, really indicates that there is at least one or maybe a couple jurors who are just holdouts um, who are intransigent. They were not going to be changing their minds regardless of what the set of facts are. Um, and so this is what makes it very difficult. Uh, uh, this is usually what you're trying to shoot for, trying to find one juror who is not willing to convict you on these charges, so this may be what's going on in this case. Um, of course, we all hold out hope for justice for this family. Um, of course, as we mentioned earlier, this is part of the need for, you know, uh, sometimes having a federal backstop if, uh, if appropriate in these cases, but, you know, it's, it ain't looking great for, uh, for them, so we can only hope what the jury comes back with. Scott?
2: Uh, and it's tough because you've got facts that support uh, a mistake being made and not recklessness, if you will. That coupled with her emotional testimony in New York when I was a prosecutor, we used to say if they deliberate long, they deliberate wrong. And in this case, you've got a couple people held out. They do not want to bring about a conviction of this white woman who was well-trained, if you will, who just made a mental mistake based on what the experts Say whether that's possible or not, and it's going to be tough. And by the way, remember this tomorrow is the 23rd of December, they're not going into Christmas Eve and Christmas, they're either going to come back hung or they're going to come back uh, not guilty, and that's the debate going on in that room right now.
4: All right, folks, hold tight one second. We come back, we're going to talk about what's happening in Georgia, voter suppression. Is it interesting what happened when Republicans start removing? Black Democrats from election boards, how they start trying to get rid of uh, voting locations. We'll discuss that next right here on Roland Martin Unfiltered on the Black Star Network.
9: Black media. He makes sure that our stories are told.
4: Thank you for being the voice of Black America, Rollins. I love
9: y'all. All All momentum
8: we have now, we have to keep this going. The video looks phenomenal. See, this difference
2: between Black Star Network and Black owned media and something like CNN. You can't be Black owned media and be scared. It's time to be smart. Bring your eyeballs home. You dig?
4: All right, folks. Welcome back to Rolla Martin Unfiltered uh, in Georgia in Lincoln County. Uh, Repub- efforts by Republicans to eliminate six of seven polling locations. Now, this this rural county uh, has was one third African American, and so why all of a sudden are they trying to get rid of the early voting? First of all, the polling locations. Probably because they start removing black folks from the board. Joining me now is uh, Anna Dennis, the executive director of Common Cause Georgia. Anna, glad to have you here. So, uh, what's the deal? What's going on there?
10: So, thank you for having me tonight, Roland. Um, as we've mentioned before, through our chaotic election cycle, we know that Georgia is ground zero for voter suppression. It's ground zero for the new Jim Crow or the old Jim Crow or Jim Crow in suit and tie or Jim Crow 2.0, it definitely breathes and lives here. So what we see happening is that we have these reconstitution of our election boards where the state decided, hey, I want to take over these election boards. And when they take over these election boards, they're replacing folks who are from different parties and putting them and with the, you know, the good old boys, the folks who are going to answer to certain Democrat, political demographics, the Republicans. So that's what's actually happening um, in Georgia. And we know that this is definitely a response to all of the energy of all the voters who came out in the 2020 election cycle and the 2018 um, election cycle.
4: Okay, so what? And so this was one of the concerns that we raised uh, when they pass this law of what happens when they can put in partisans to take over election boards. And we're seeing Republicans, these, these MAGA people all across the country, when Steve Bannon has said it, they want to take over the elections boards to overturn the result if they don't like it.
10: Yeah, we see that folks are acting out of fear. They fear the new populace. They fear the energy of what's happening um, in voting, especially in Georgia, because we know now that in Georgia, when we get people out to vote, it dominoes across the country. We are a sounding board and we are a drum that down here. So there definitely is a systemic problem with um, how folks are looking at administration and how folks are looking at how to own power because they're afraid of new populace and what is growing um, in Georgia. We're not a scared state down here. That's obvious about, you know, how many folks came out uh, to vote. So we're not scared down here. So we're coming out. We're coming out in the millions to vote during early voting. We're coming out during our actual November election and we're coming out for runoffs. And now folks are running scared. And what they're trying to do is intimidate these small rural counties because they're afraid of 11,000 vote margin. So that's what we see happening down here
4: and this is one of the reasons why uh, we have been warning people about the efforts that they are undertaking uh, in Georgia and across this country.
10: Definitely. We have warned people. We have said repeatedly for months that this is going to domino across the country. We're going to see uh, and heightened uh, voter suppression laws. There are over 34 states that because of the energy in the 2020 election and the flipping of certain, certain chambers, the Senate flipped, other chambers flipped, there are folks who are afraid. So we've seen 34 states that have instituted voter suppression laws. Common costs nationally, we are a part of many lawsuits to combat that. In Georgia, we are still in proceedings of a lawsuit to combat our anti-voting bill, which we call down here the ZomniBus bill, because I know you've told um, your viewers and we've told our members and folks that that bill started out as a two-page bill, and then it ended up as a 90-page bill for some of us who had to go through the fine lines and reading all the attacks voter suppression and all the attacks to the voting freedom that we have here in Georgia, because some folks just don't want people to be free and some folks just don't want people to vote down here. All
4: right, then. Uh, Anna Dennis, we surely appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Uh, folks, two Texas teens are facing hate crime charges for Halloween Day assault on a black classmate. According to the indictment, two 17-year-olds have been indicted on third-degree felony uh, charges connected with the assault on Halloween night in Woodsboro, Texas. The two, the two teenagers, one white one Hispanic, both 17 years old, dressed in Klan outfits, harassed and tased a 16-year-old black classmate. All of this took place by being recorded by another classmate. If found guilty, the teens face up to 10 years uh in jail all right folks uh when we uh come back from this break we're gonna talk about uh we're gonna have our course a tech talk segment brought to you by verizon uh where um if you want to be able to uh, help uh your favorite hbcu guess what it's just uh, the click away from an app we'll tell you exactly what that is right here on roland martin unfiltered on the black star network
1: you know how some carriers give you so little for your older busted phone you just end up living with it i don't think so verizon lets you trade in your broken phone for a shiny new one you break it we upgrade it you dunk it doggy bone it (laughs) slam it wham it strawberry jam it we upgrade it get a 5g phone on
2: us with select plans every customer current new or business because everyone deserves better and with plans starting at just 35 dollars better costs less than you think
4: All right, folks, uh, Dominique King created the I Heart My HBCU app in order for folks uh, to help uh, their favorite HBCU, of course, the 104 across the country. She joins us right now on Roland Martin Unfiltered. Dominique, how you doing?
11: Hi, how are you doing? And thank you so much for having me tonight, Roland. All right. So exactly what's the app? What does it do? All right. Well, so the app is uh, the official I Heart My HBCU, the official spare change app for historically black colleges and universities. And it's really simple. You just go to iOS or Android and download the app. You sync your bank account and then whenever you are out shopping your spare change, um, the, the app is able to view all your spare your transactions and it rounds it up to the next dollar. So your spare change goes to the your favorite HBCUs that you select
6: all right
4: so um so basically if you if you spend uh, a buck 29 and um you want that additional 71 cents uh, to go to your favorite hbcu uh with the app you can you can actually pre-select to go to that one hbcu or can it actually go to several
11: so you can pre-select it to go to several HBCUs, which is actually what is a, a unique feature about our app. You can select up to five HBCUs to donate to at one time. And the great thing about this is you can give to your your alma mater, but you could also give to other HBCUs that may be in more need.
4: Gotcha. When did you create this and why? What 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 led you to do it?
11: Um, well, so a lot of things really led me to do it. But Um, What really spurred it at the time was back in 2017 when Bennett College was near closing. I'm an AKA, and we do a phenomenal job just raising money for HBCUs overall. And um, that year Bennett College was near closing, and it really made me say to myself, how can we, you know, prevent this from happening again? Um, I'm a Howard University graduate. I'm a product um, of uh, two HBCU graduates my parents uh, met at Tuskegee University. And just, you know, having all those ties to HBCUs, it just made me say, what impact can I make? And so after that, I really started thinking, you know, I, my, my background's marketing. I've been in marketing for 15 years and made this switch to tech. But I really, you know, I put on my marketing hat and I said, what is going on? What are the challenges that um, these alumni are facing that's preventing them from donating to their HBCU? So really after conducting all that research, I knew a spare change app was the solution to make, make giving easy for everyone.
4: All right, questions from my panelists. I'll start with, Moni,
7: I don't really have a question, just a comment. Thanks so much for everything that you're doing as a proud Bison alum. I just um, am am so excited that people who are bright and, and gifted as you are could be doing anything and choose to do this. So thank you
11: you're welcome and you know i'm i'm happy to do this again because i'm a hbcu grad and i just think it's so important whether you graduated from an hbcu or 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 not that these institutions they're a part of our legacy so while majority of them they were not started by us they were made for us and it's so important that we protect this part of our history
6: robert so much, and thank you for all that you uh, you are doing in this space. Can you kind of give people details on how this works. I know we see this for other charities often and other initiatives. Uh, can you kind of just give people the details on how exactly it works and how exactly they can sign up for it.
11: Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, again, to sign up for the app, you go to the iOS app store or you go to Android and just download it. And then the very next thing you're going to do is actually you could uh, preview the app and explore it. Right. And as you're exploring, don't forget to add your bank details, um, your credit card or debit card or your um, actual bank details. And then after that, whenever you are shopping um, you know our app is able to track those purchases that you make. So whenever you make a purchase, just like Roland said, if I spend a dollar twenty nine, you know grabbing a burger at McDonald's, um, that's seventy one cents in spare change. I'll round that purchase up to two dollars, and that seventy one cents in spare change, it can go to the HBCUs that you um, that you select and once you select those hbcus we send um we send those dollars over to the hbcus you select um, as unrestricted funds so they can use it um and you know really as they see fit um at that time
4: all right then Uh, where can uh folks uh follow you follow the app more information
11: um well you can uh follow the app at at iHeartHBCUs HBCUs on Instagram and then on Twitter and Facebook at I heart my HBCU.
4: So iHeartHBCUs heart HBCUs are on uh, IG and then uh, say it again for the other ones.
11: Um, it's on IG, and it's also on Facebook and Twitter at iHeartmyHBCU. And another thing I also wanted to mention that makes our app really unique is um, we have donor communities. So we're more than just a spare change app. We're also a community where you can connect with, um, you know, old classmates. You can network. Um, and for every HBCU that we have in the app, um, we have a donor community uh, for each of those HBCUs. So it really is, um, it's, it's really, it's about building a movement. Um, Cause one of the things that I learned in my journey when uh, developing this app is that, you know, I wanna make it easy for all alumni and supporters of HBCUs, right? And we're talking spare change, we're talking five cents, 10 cents, 20 cents, and it really adds up, right? And sometimes you can feel like, man, you know, I'm doing this by myself, but is it really making a difference? And it can really make a difference. Um, and that's what, all of us just really coming together and supporting our HBCUs. And Roland, I wanted to mention, you know, I I watch your show and you always talk a lot about the Divine Nine and us coming together and really supporting our HBCUs. And so that is what this app allows you to do. We have the donor communities for each HBCU. We also have chat rooms for the Divine Nine. So you can, uh, you know, join the chat room. Represent for your sorority or your fraternity, and they also each sorority and fraternity gets credit for uh, the donations, and they get ranked based on that each month. So if you want to, you know, have bragging rights and say, you know, alphas are number one um, in terms of supporting HBCUs, then show no, that, it with that, your. That,
4: that's actually not subjective, so that's actually <laughs> true.
11: <laughs> okay, well, you know, um, I I would actually agree with that, you know for the brus, for the brus, and AKAs, of course, for the sororities. But yeah, so if you definitely want to have some bragging rights, actually, right now, Deltas are number two, AKAs are number one in the app. So, you know, for all my divine nine that are listening, if you want to be number one, you need to download the app and, you know, show us with your spare change how much you love your HBCU. Um, additionally, we also rank the HBCUs each month based on how much they're giving. So, um, you know, again, I went to Howard University. We're in the top five, but we need to be number one. So, all my Howard University. No, no,
4: no. Who's number one, two, three, and
11: four? Oh gosh, I don't know the top five off top, but I'm going to encourage you download the app if you want to view who's in the top yeah. five. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh
4: huh. Yeah. You know, so we, Yeah. You, <laughs> yeah. You don't know top of your head
11: but we rank monthly so again if you want to see your hbcu in that top five leaderboard then you need to download the app so you so your university can shine for that month and so i think those are some of the creative unique aspects about our app that community um that community feature is really what's going to keep people coming back and just remind people it's a movement if you want our hbcus to be here for a long time to come We 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 really can't depend on just one person to hold our community down, right? I love the fact that we have you know Oprah, Robert F. Smith, Beyonce, uh, Megan Thee Stallion, a lot of celebrities giving back, and my dream would be to partner with one of those celebrities, um, but not so they can give back, but in order to get everybody else to give back. And that's what this app is about. It's not about let's get one big check from a celebrity. It's about let's get a lot of spare change from a lot of people. And 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 it could be up to us to really preserve our cultural institutions.
4: All right, Dominique King, we appreciate it. Thank you so very much uh, for telling us about
11: this app. Thank you so much for having me.
4: All right, folks, uh, that is it for us. Uh, Robert, Monique, Scott, we surely appreciate it. Thank you so very much uh, for joining us uh, on today's uh, panel. Y'all be sure to have a great Christmas. Folks, uh, I am uh, getting better. You can actually, I think you can tell with my voice. I uh, still have some uh, st- st- some uh, slight stuffiness. I uh, still have an occasional call. Uh, but uh, i am getting better as I'm isolating. So I started Sunday. So this is my this is a day three of my uh, quarantine isolation. Uh, watching a whole lot of Netflix. Uh, but uh, I'm sure I'll be uh, checking out Hulu, Quayle TV, uh, and some of the other uh, apps as well. Doing some reading as well. So again, I appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Hey, don't forget to please download our uh, Black Star Network app. Of course, uh, our goal is to get fifty thousand downloads by the end of. Uh, the month, and so you can download your Apple phone, Android phone, Android TV, Apple TV, Roku, Amazon Fire Stick, Xbox, and Samsung Smart TV. Also, please join our Brenda Funk fan club But every dollar you give goes to support the show. Cash App, dollar sign, RM Unfiltered, PayPal is R Martin Unfiltered, Venmo is RM Unfiltered, Zale is rolling at rolandsmartin.com rolling at rollingmartinunfiltered.com. Uh, and so again, uh, I appreciate it, folks. Y'all have an absolute great one. I will see you tomorrow right here on Roland Martin unfiltered on the black side network. Holler. Oh, 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 oh,